Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bulfitz, and welcome back to the sixth Sunday of Easter for the week of May 14th, 2023. And I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast. And before we dig in too deep, at least here in the United States, we have to say Happy Mother's Day. I know it's a greeting card holiday, but it also is a moment, and I think it's a unique moment, that because we have Mother's Day and then next month Father's Day, we're able to also bring it into the church and look at it from a mothering God and a fathering God perspective, helping us be able to see the omnipresent God that we have as both genders, I think can be a very powerful thing. And especially as we are watching the seasons kind of come to life, as we are in the season of May, I know it's a little bit easier in ways to be able to see Mother's Day at this time of the year, as we're watching things grow, as we're watching things change, as we're watching this new life be spring up here, at least in the northern hemisphere of the world. And I think that's one of the things that plays into this idea of growth. And as we are in this Easter season, to continue to think about and be providing that. But I think it also plays a little bit into the question that we had for last week, which was, are we going through the succession that we need to as individuals and as a church? And I have a loyal listener who has responded many times and he is an older man. I'm not saying super old, but he's he's older. He's retirement age. But I think it's the idea of him recognizing and thinking about how the world that he grew up in is not the world in which we are now. And he lists off talking about how the neighborhood that he lived in, very few moms worked. Divorce wasn't really heard of much. Cars were parked in renters' garages and used like once a week. You walked to school. These are all things that in many areas have changed. And that the church in that same context has changed but needs to continue to change. And I think that's a beautiful metaphor for where we're at. That we need to be okay and satisfied with the idea that Things are changing and changing quickly, and thus we need to be able to change also. But I think it's that hard balance of being able to also make sure in the same breath that we're not stepping on toes, that we're making sure that our changes aren't just for change sake, but that we're also making sure that it's a well thought out and considered calculated change and being okay with the idea that if we make the wrong change going back or modifying or learning and growing and much like what typical science would do that you keep working and changing and evolving with it and I think that's one of the things that's really important for us to be able to think about and consider especially in this Easter season there is a much transformation that is about to happen here as we are getting toward the back end of Easter here of this season. And what does it mean then after Jesus has risen, has not yet ascended, but is preparing and is talking about that I am going to be, there's going to be an advocate coming in. We'll talk a little bit more about that this week. But this idea then of what does that all mean for us? And I don't think the disciples got it initially. I think it took a little bit of time for them to be able to understand what had actually been given to them. 
And I think in a lot of ways, we can see that type of stream and correlation throughout. And in our own lives today, I think there is definitely things that we can look at and see now where we had advocates or prophets or people who were leading away or maybe ahead of their time, all different phrases that we can use and have helped guide us into places in which we are today. And as we're looking at where we are today, we aren't necessarily sure where it's going to lead. So let's just jump into it. The first reading is out of Acts chapter 17 verses 22 to 31. Here you have Paul talking to a Greek community and religious community is thought about or potentially a person. It was one of the things as I was listening to an old Matt Skinner working preacher was kind of talking about there's a little bit of discussion back and forth. But especially in verse 23, you have where Paul is walking through this area and has this inscription that he finds for all the different gods that they worship to an unknown God. And is then going into this transformation of what has God done for us that he came and did all these different things with us to show us the embodied Christ of what that meant. And the tipping point of where he loses some people, but also we would learn if we continued on in this text, the connection to the community in a much deeper way gets into the death and resurrection that coming from verse 30 and 31. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, he now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he had appointed. And on this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This gets into a little bit of what he talks about how God has been very patient with us and realizes that we're trying to strive to be the best iterations of us serving God, but realizing that our own sin, our own human capacity limits us at times from being able to fulfill that. The psalm that goes with this this week is Psalm 66 verses 8 to 20. This is a praise psalm but also recognizing our human condition, recognizing that we do fall, that we do fall short, that in doing that, we want to sacrifice the best for God, recognizing that we are trying to give our best for God. And then in doing that, that the Lord is listening, even when those moments when we question if we're being heard, God is not trying to reject us. God is trying to be with us and rejoice with us and is trying to share that love with us as long as we are willing to acknowledge it and willing to be looking for it. The second reading is out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 22. This kind of picks up a little bit on that theme that was in Acts here on how we shouldn't be intimidated by what Christ did for us. That yes, there is going to be times that we are going to go through hard times. And it's not that God has turned a blind eye to us, but instead it's this recognition of God trying to walk with us in that humbling process at times that we go through. That 
moment of us recognizing, even looking back to the Old Testament, of how like Noah had to go through the ark to be able to have eight good people who were there to be able to repopulate. That God is very patient with us and realizing that we are of flesh and that we are not perfect. And thus, that is why we had Christ come on our behalf to take away the sins that we commit. This recognition then of how we shouldn't be intimidated by this fear, but recognizing that through what Christ did, it allows us to walk more boldly and recognizing that we will fall at different times. The Gospel text this week is out of John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. This is, again, kind of toward that farewell discourse now in John of Jesus talking with the disciples, talking about to follow the commandments, but also asking for this advocate to come on their behalf, that the spirit of truth will come to them and it will be embedded within them. Even though Jesus is no longer physically present, it will now be embedded within them. It will be something that transforms how they live and it's going to help guide them in how they are able to then love other people because it has been embedded within them. So, before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we do a shameless plug. Oh! Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcast or commentaries or discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast. It helps give me a lot of direction week to week to be able to give you this. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I use it on a weekly basis, not only to look at the text week to week, but also to be able to look at the art, the liturgical colors, the hymns, prayers. There's a lot of great resources over there. So if you haven't checked out Vanderbilt's Divinity Library and the Revised Common Lectionary, I'd highly recommend it. As we've talked about before, one of the other things that's super exciting this year is the Gus Davis Academy for Faith, Science, and Ethics that is designed to bring high school students from across the country to learn alongside the top scientists, theologians, and activists at the intersections of faith and science to find solutions to some of the world's most pressing challenges while having fun and creating an open and non-judgmental space for questions and community. Think Bible Camp for teens who are excited about science and justice, which is an amazing opportunity. This summer, they are super excited to be exploring insects, climate change, and the interconnectedness of creation. The Academy Fellows will be invited to do deep dives into the growing impact of bugs on their environment, the land in which they live on, and the food in which they eat and more, and will experience hands-on learning in ecology and theology, discovering how faith and science can work hand-in-hand to create a much more beautiful future for our planet. If you haven't registered for this amazing event in St. Peter, Minnesota, the links will be attached down below. As I've talked about, I'm working with them to be part of this in some small way. It'd be super awesome to see some of you guys there. 
The final sponsor that we have for this week is the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and Green Blades Rising Publications. Both these publications, yes, they're designed a little bit for the upper Midwest, but they go beyond that with ecological echoes, implications, and urgencies, talking about from both a weekly preaching perspective, along with being able to look at from a broader sense on a more monthly notices on different events, along with being able to look at different resources. So if you haven't checked out the EcoFaith Greenblades preaching resources, I will attach those in the links down below. As we kind of talked about as we were going through the question for the week, what is an advocate? What is in our world a prophet? What is someone who is ahead of their time. I think in certain ways, all these words and phrases are very correlated together and are very similar. When we think about what Jesus was talking about here and preparing for the leaving a second time, that there is something going to be greater given to these people. And in order for that to happen, that Jesus has to leave. It does leave the disciples at that moment in this weird spot of you're saying you're having to leave and that something is coming, but it hasn't yet come. What does that mean? And I think when we look at science, that is something that we wrestle with a lot as scientists. We recognize at certain moments that there are things that we are working on that have the potential to be major breakthroughs. And even as we figure out parts of things, it might not lead to that initial giant breakthrough like we first thought. And a great example of this is DNA. If we look at how much has changed since the late 1860s on when DNA, whether Johann and Mischler actually understood what he had discovered, he understood it was a nucleotide of some thing. In fact, he called it nucleon. And we've talked about this in the not too distant past, but this idea of how discovering something new and it being worked over years to the point where we even had people who weren't dealing with in biology, like Rosalind Franklin, who again is another female scientist who does not get nearly enough credit. You've probably heard of Watson and Crick getting the credit for the double helix structure of DNA, where you could argue Rosalind Franklin from her studies, and especially with x-rays to be able to take pictures of it to kind of show that it was a double helix. And in fact, her kind of criticizing Watson and Crick initially, who were thinking it was a triple helix and saying that was mathematically impossible since she was a physicist and stating that that just that structure wouldn't work and she within what she was dealing with died of ovarian cancer before the Nobel Prize could be potentially given and since it is not given postpartum she didn't get the award not that I am at all salty that she doesn't get nearly enough recognition for that. But that, even the discovering and understanding of the double helix and what was going on with DNA in the early 1950s, 1953, even at these times, and we think about how far that we have come in less than 100 years with this, 
Did Watson and Crick really understand what they had discovered? No. I would argue they really didn't understand what they had discovered. Heck, when we look at in getting into the 1990s and we got into the Human Genome Project, where we had the National Institute of Health working to have this program go and start, and it led to... Francis Collins working on the Human Genome Project. And while that was going, and while the United States federal government was working on that, a private entity of an American researcher, Craig Vetter, decided that he was also going to work on sequencing the human genome. And at that same time, it had sped up the whole process. There was debate on whether Vetter was doing as good of a process because he had machines that were doing things in a different method than the manual ways that had been done by Collins to the point where they ended up in March of 2000 coming out with a dual statement that they had been able to figure out the genome project together and being able to show that work together and talking about even at that point that there was the potential of this being able to cure and help with the cures of many different human ailments at the time. As now that we are almost getting closer and closer to 25 years since this announcement, 23 years and counting, it hasn't happened exactly that way. And part of the reason is that we have found that diabetes, for instance, is not one or two genes within our genome that is causing that. It's over 80. And that all these little tweaks and how they're all interconnected together and trying to figure out how this still has the potential of having personalized medicine based off our own genomes is vastly crazy and important, but it also is a not yet in a lot of ways. There's certain ways that we're starting to have that, but we're not to that point yet. And in fact, when we look at what we've gone through in the last few years, we'll say five years now with the COVID-19 vaccine, and I know there is a lot of questions on how effective it was and everything like that. And I'm not going to get into that political arena with this. What I am going to get into with talking about it is this vaccine that Moderna and Pfizer and even J&J was working on, Johnson & Johnson, was using mRNA or a DNA vaccine. This wasn't possible even 30 years ago. This is breaking edge where we were able to essentially take parts of the virus's DNA, put it into a structure so that it can reproduce the T cells in our bodies to help our immune system get ready for the what was potentially coming so that we could build up antibodies to it. And instead of these older methods of having using egg embryos and having guesswork, we were able to now chop up the DNA faster and potentially work with that. And we're also got on a crash course on how evolution within DNA and within species, or in this case, a virus was continuing to happen as we different had the different variants as the virus continued to evolve. It was actually a really great opportunity to understand how some of these different things go on. 
how and why we've heard about superbugs and how potentially we have to watch how much antibiotic use that we have to continue to have high efficiency and high effectiveness with different ailments and not overdo it to where it becomes resistant to different antibiotics and we have to keep ratcheting up what we can do. How does all of this then relate back to Christ talking about sending an advocate on our behalf. I would argue this starts to show the advocate in science in one way. The Holy Spirit working within these people to help lay foundations so that as these things were happening, that there was something there that we could continue to lean on. That the faith of what God had steered these people into and what they were doing had helped lay the foundations to not have just fear, to be able to continue to be the people that we were called to be because we had been given at least baseline fundamental understanding of how DNA works. And one of the things that I found really interesting as I was listening to some of these, even some of these older discussions talking about DNA and trying to have more of a per patient care based off of our own genetic material, the understanding of, yes, we're not there yet. But in a lot of times when we have had major breakthroughs, initially it doesn't look like it's that big of a deal, even though it was pumped up to be. And when you look back, when you get further down, it was that there was a learning curve that we had to understand of what we had actually found. And once we did, then it was this big breakthrough that it actually had been predicted to be. And that's where like right now when we're looking at, okay, we've been able to sequence the genome. We've been able to see how different cancers and diseases can potentially be linked to all these different genes, which does make it more complicated. Potentially still, there is something that as we are able to work with this, be able to help us understand these different things. It's one of the things, if you've been staying up on the pulse where right now, especially in the world in which we're in, and the introduction of AI, both the scary and the crazy potential of what it could be, if you take it from the idea of what potentially it could do within these types of research and be able to model some different things out, to potentially give scientists an idea of maybe we start with these ones that appears as we've run different AI tests have a higher probability of working and thus being able to allocate our funds in a better and more efficient way could be really helpful. Even though in certain ways, AI is kind of scary. The disciples, as Jesus is preparing them to leave, the messages that Jesus is getting are kind of crazy. And even what Paul is telling the Greeks after Jesus has left is pretty crazy. And when we think about the encouragement that we get in 1 Peter or even the encouragement that we get in the psalm, the faith that we have in general, there are parts that seem crazy. There are parts that seem hard for us to fully grasp and understand. And that's where part of our faith is, is understanding there are parts that we don't fully understand, and that's okay. And even as maybe we are able to eventually explain different parts of it, 
I still always believe that there will be aspects of things that are still hard to believe, and that's part of what faith is. Understanding that there is something greater than myself. Understanding that there is something that is worth believing in that's greater than me. The advocate was promised to be coming. Something that was going to change how we interacted with our creator. That the creator had been distant more in the Old Testament and been brought nearer to us with Jesus and that wasn't good enough for God. God wanted to be within us. God wanted to be within our bodies just like our DNA is within us. And as the disciples learned when the advocate comes, which we're getting to here in a few weeks, it was really kind of crazy and very different than what they expected. Just like sequencing the genome gave us all these different things where it's like, okay, now what? We thought this was going to answer everything, and it didn't. It still gives us plenty of questions, and now we're being able to start to utilize it in vaccines and different things of that nature. But we still know that we're not getting the most out of it yet because there's still time to learn and grow. Just as is, the advocate comes for us to help us grow and become closer to who God created us to be and be in closer relationship with God. Three years ago, when we had this text, I talked about it in the aspect of a catalyst, something to help a reaction be able to move along quicker. And I would recommend checking that out. It'll be attached in the show notes. But I think that's a good way of looking at it. But I also argue that there is something personal when you're trying to take the advocate, the Holy Spirit, and our own genetic material and recognizing that there is a lot of genetic material between all humans that is very similar. There's subtle changes that make us all unique. And realizing that in there, it helps us understand who we are as humans. And the idea that the Holy Spirit, the advocate, is within us. Maybe it doesn't necessarily show up individually as the genetic code in our genome. But maybe the advocate has been present. And these scientists being able to show some of the blueprints on how God designed us to be. And that's pretty amazing. Because that shows me a God that didn't just come as a Holy Spirit once, but God coming as a Holy Spirit and continuing to be active with that Holy Spirit, guiding us, working with us, helping us to be the people that God has created us to be, and using what we are able to do in this lifetime, not only for our own good, but for the greater good of the community, the world community, of not only that time, but for future generations. So the question I have for you this week is, have you ever thought of scientific breakthroughs as the Holy Spirit working with us? Have you ever thought of scientific breakthroughs as the Holy Spirit working with us? Because as I dig into and think about the Human Genome Project and us being able to sequence the genome and that we had time to be able to look and learn and use that data to be able to help in a global pandemic. Not necessarily that we have it all figured out, but that we were not completely fresh. 
that we have been able to work with it enough to start working with it in different and unique ways to potentially even come up with DNA vaccines. I think there is moments here that we need to be making sure that we're giving the Holy Spirit credit, that the Holy Spirit is working in and through and among us in ways that we may not even fully be recognizing. And I think that's worth investing in. I think it's worth spending time with and worth looking at our world and all the discoveries as the advocate helping us become the people that God created us to be. And that to me is pretty amazing. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.